Psalm 89, the Masco of Ethan the Ezraite. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever in his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Selah. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword. You have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Lord, this morning we humble our hearts before you. How wonderful it is to know that as our good Father, you know what we need even before we ask it. Lord, when we come to you and run into your arms, we know that we are met with love, we're met with mercy. Lord, your heart for us is goodness. Your heart for us is to be drawn into a, 
relationship to you. And so, Lord, we praise you this morning. We, we thank you. Even as we wrestle with the confusion of this life, even as we wrestle with our own doubts, Lord, we submit our hearts to you this morning. We ask that you would lead us to a place of deeper trust, that as we open your word and hear you speak to us, that you would draw us into deeper intimacy with you. Lord, we need you this morning. We need you to give us hope again. We need you to sound good news in our ears and in our hearts. And so, Lord, as we open your word, we ask that you would bless it, that you would minister to us by your grace and in your power. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. You may be seated. Whenever two people uh, enter into any sort of relationship, they always bring with them certain expectations. Um, I feel like the first two years of Allie and I's marriage was just sort of this long exploration of our different expectations, right? We had expectations of how we should interact with our family. We had expectations of how much time we should spend together, uh, what kind of food we should eat, how much money we should spend, what we should do with our money. We, we brought all these expectations with us into our marriage. Uh, learning to read minds takes lots of practice. What we found is that almost all of our arguments and frustrations come from the fact that we have these uh, different expectations for each other. And I would bet that some of you here in this room today, uh, you've come to assume in life uh, that all expectations are for is to be broken, is to be let down. The only thing that you expect in life is for what you expect not to happen, not to come true. And I would bet for some of us here today, if we're really honest, we would admit that, that that's actually how we view God. That for years we've been hoping that He would do something for us. For years we've been trying to cling to His promises. For years we've been waiting on His timing, but it seems like God has failed us. It seems like God has let us down Today we're going to be diving back into Psalm 89. We've already heard uh, the, the last half of Psalm 89 read. And Psalm 89 is a lot like a roller coaster. It takes you up to the, the highest of heights. The promises that we heard in the first half of our reading this morning could not go any higher. But it is the height of those promises which makes the, the plummet into the depths that much more confusing and disturbing. It's like one author, Samuel Renahan, says... Life could not get worse for a people who had been promised something so much better. And so, first off, if you're here this morning, and, and that's kind of where you find your play, where, where you find yourself this morning, first of all, I just want to thank you for coming here. I just want to thank you for entrusting your soul into the hands of the Lord today and coming here, even in the midst of your confusion and doubts about life. But also, I just want to encourage you. Um, that, that whatever darkness, whatever doubts, wherever you find yourself in the midst of your suffering, God is willing to go down into those places with you. And we know that because His Son Jesus has already been there. His Son Jesus has already been down into the darkest place that any human being can possibly go. And so we can know this morning that God is willing to go into those places with us. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up there to Psalm 89. 
And it would be great for you to have it open in front of you this morning because we're going to be walking through a lot of these verses. And I think it would, I think it would really help you to have the Word of God there in front of you. So have a Bible. I want to invite you to open it there. And, and the big question we're going to be asking this morning is what do we do when it feels like God is failing us? What do we do when it feels like He has come up short on His And there's four things this morning that we're going to look at. The first is this. Remember the promises of the covenant. Remember the promises of the uh, The promises that we see here that God made to David, they just, it seems like they just could not get any better. And so we're going to, going to work through them one by one and just kind of work through the text this morning and look at these, these promises. Uh, first, in verses 19 to 21, we see the promise of help and stability and strength. Let's read those verses again. It says, Of old, you have spoken a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to the one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. So that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. Him. So here we're learning that God formed this covenant relationship with David, and he promised to give him strength. He promised to give him help. He promised to establish David. Then in verses 22 and 23, uh, we see the promise of victory and protection. It says, The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. So God promised to save David from the threats of his enemies, and God promised to give David victory in, in all the war and all the battles that he entered into. Then verses 24 and 25, we see the promise of God's presence and favor. Let's read it again. It says, My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. God promised to both to be with David, but also to expand David's kingdom, to expand the kingdom of Israel through David. In verses 26 and 27, we see what I think is the, the, the coolest promise in this whole thing. We see the promise of a father-son relationship. It says, He shall cry to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So to have God himself as your father, could there be a greater honor? And to be God's son, you know, could there be a, a greater blessing than this father-son relationship? Verses 28 to 29, we see the promise that this relationship will last forever. It says, my steadfast love I will keep for him forever. My covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days so when will God turn back from David? Never. When will God stop loving David? Never. How long will God be committed to David? Forever. That's right. Verses 30 and 32, we see another promise. Uh, but now this, this promise is a little bit different. This promise ends up being, I think, the key that unlocks this whole psalm for us. The promise is the consequences that come with disobedience. It says, If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. So this is sort of a classic if-then statement. If you disobey, then I will punish. 
And so this reveals that there is, there is a conditional aspect within this covenant that God made with David. But then in verses 33 to 35, followed right on the heels of that conditional aspect, we see that there's also a promise of unconditional love. It says, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. So even if David and his lineage disobey, even if God does end up punishing them for what they've done, his steadfast love will remain on David. And then the final promises that we see in verses 36 and 37. This is the repeated promise that we've seen all throughout Psalm 89. We see the promise of an offspring and of a throne last forever. It says, His offspring shall endure forever, His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. So whether there's obedience or disobedience, whether God ends up punishing David and his descendants for their disobedience, there are some things that God has promised to David that absolutely will come true no matter what. I want you to think for a minute about the best promise you've ever received. Try to think about that. What do you, what's like the best promise you've ever received? Maybe, uh, maybe it was a trip that you got to go on. Uh, maybe it was like the day you were standing at the altar and you made these promises uh, with your spouse you know, I'm not sure for you like what the best promises that you've, you've ever received are, but just think about it. Imagine being David and having God himself tell you these promises, make this sort of relationship with you where, where he spoke these promises directly. I mean, imagine how you would feel. Like, could this get any better to hear God say this to you? But here's a question that I think we have to answer to 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 see ourselves in, in this psalm this morning. How do we relate to the promises and covenants that God made to the kingdom of Israel? How do people like us, who are you know thousands of years removed, how do we relate to the promises and the covenants that God made with Israel? Well, first, we look back and see how God chose Israel to be his servant, to bring forth the Messiah into the world. Uh, in Romans 9, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of makes this explicit for us. Romans 9, 3 to 5, I want to read this for you. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. So he's saying, like, I love the Jews. I love Israel so much. He says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And then this is the part I want to key in on. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. That word just means Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So what we're reading about when we see this covenant with David, when we see these promises with David, what we're reading about is the fact that God chose Israel, and specifically he chose David's family to be the servant who brought the Messiah into the world. Here's a way to think of it. David's promises and David's covenant 
is a servant to a better covenant with better promises. David's promises and David's covenant becomes a servant to a greater covenant with greater promises. This is how I, I think you ought to think about this. When you think about how do we relate to the Old Testament, how we do we relate the promises and the covenants of the Old Testament. The way I thought about this week is a UPS driver. Uh, at our house, we love when the UPS man shows up at our door. It's an exciting time. We, we do a little dance. We run around. It's exciting. But here's the deal. The only reason that the UPS driver is at my house is because he has brought us a package. If the UPS man was just showing up at our house with no package, that would be a problem. We would not be okay with that. That would not be exciting. But the reason we're excited is because he's bringing us something. There's something that he's bringing along. Well, as we're reading through these promises that God made to David, it's sort of like Israel was God's delivery driver for this package, this wonderful, precious package, which was a a better covenant with better promises that would be fulfilled in the, the greater son, Jesus Christ. But also we relate to the promises and the covenants of Israel because when we look back to God's relationship with Israel, we see that there were little pictures. There were, it was almost like a little prototype of what the relationship between Jesus and his church would be to God as well. It's not exactly the same, but there's a lot of resemblance between Israel's relationship to God and then Jesus and the church and, and our relationship to God. What Israel was in a shadow form, so think about like a shadow. A shadow is a, has a resemblance, it's a silhouette, but it's, it's not really you. So what Israel was as a shadow, Jesus and the church is as substance, as the real thing. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you've, I don't know if you've ever been involved in some sort of building project or something like that. But a lot of times, you know, you, you, you get involved with a building project and you might have this little mini model, right? Uh, you might create this little tiny little building, you know, has little blades of grass and you might even have like little people and you're kind of trying to show. And in a, in a sense, that building project resembles the future, the future building, right? It might even correspond to the same dimensions. It is an attempt to try to show you what that future thing is going to be. Well, when we look back at David and these promises that God has made to David and and the covenant that he made with David, it's sort of like this miniature model of what we experience in and through Jesus Christ. So in summary, we relate to a psalm like this in two ways. We We relate to a psalm like this in two ways, which both center in Jesus Christ. First, the promises that we see here are the servant to greater promises that we have in Jesus Christ. The covenant that we see here with David is a servant to a greater covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. And second, the promises that we see here are like little mini models. They're like little prototypes of the the greater, better promises that we have in Jesus Christ. So what's the big deal with all this? Well, the big deal is that for as amazing as the promises that God made to David are, the promises that God has made to us in Christ are even better. God promised David national security, but he promises us eternal security. God promised David to defeat his earthly enemies, But God has promised to us to defeat even the greater enemies of sin and death and hell and Satan. God promised David to expand the kingdom of Israel across the earth. But he has promised to us a kingdom 
that will envelop all of heaven and earth itself and one that will last forever. So the promises that God made to David, they they were awesome. It seemed like they couldn't get any better. But the promises that God has made to us in Jesus Christ are even better. Uh, this past week, I was at dinner with a few friends, and uh, we started to joke about, I don't know if you guys are this way as well, but whenever uh, we maybe update our phone or update our computer or sometimes even sign a contract if it's not something too serious, uh, we don't even read the terms and conditions. You just kind of scroll to the bottom. You know, you're just like in a hurry, just and you just hit accept. You have no idea what you, you just clicked accept to, but you just sort of went for it. Well, I seem to think that for, for some of us, like, our Christian faith is exactly like that. Uh, maybe, maybe one time, like, you accepted Jesus and, and you said yes to him, but you don't even really know what you said yes to. You, you have no idea of the precious promises that came with the terms and the conditions of God's covenant relationship to you. That in Jesus Christ, God has given us an eternal inheritance. He has given us so much, and yet we're not even quite sure what we've said yes to. We're not even quite sure what we've accepted. And so what I, how I see this playing out in my life, and sometimes how I see this playing out in other people's lives, is that sometimes we actually end up trying to earn things that God has already given us. Uh, sometimes we end up trying to go seek after things that God has actually already promised us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So how does this connect for the larger message today? When it feels like God is failing us, when it feels like His promises might not be, how does that connect for us? Well, it's hard enough that life is difficult. But I'll tell you what's harder. Harder is to have no hope at all. It's hard enough that life is difficult. But I'll tell you what's harder. What's harder is to have no word, no declaration from God saying, I love you. See, it might feel like God is failing us. It might feel like he's not coming through. But it's better to have the covenant than to not have it. It's better to have the promises than to not have it. It's better to have his word to wrestle with and maybe even be frustrated about because it doesn't quite seem like it's working. It's better to have that than to not, even if we are confused, even if we are frustrated, even if it feels like we're not sure. It's better to have the covenant than to not. So for 37 verses now, uh, going back to last week, if you want to hear the beginning of Psalm 89, you can go back and Check out last week's sermon. For 37 verses, we've climbed up and up and up and up to the highest peak of expectation. But in an instant, in verse 38, we plummet down into the depths of confusion and despair. So what do we do next? When it feels like God is failing us. Second, wrestle with the consequences of the covenant. Wrestle with the consequences of the covenant. With the backdrop of such amazing promises, with the backdrop of the celebration of God's unending faithfulness, this psalm takes a drastic turn. We'll read verses 38 to 45. But now, you have cast off. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. 
You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruin. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Notice as this psalm recounts this current situation that Israel finds themselves in, it's not that it's atheists stop believing in God. No, no, no. God is the actor in almost every section of the psalm. It says God has rejected. God has renounced. God has defiled. God has breached, and so on and so forth. And maybe you notice this too, that as I, as I read through this section, it's almost as if every single promise that God had given to David has now been reversed. They've actually gotten the exact opposite of what they were expecting. Uh, every once in a while, I uh, won't be, well, I should say more than every once in a while. Uh, about once a week, I'm not really paying attention very well to what Allie's saying to me. And she asks me to do something, but because I'm not really listening very well, I end up doing the exact opposite. You know, she'll, she'll stop and she'll like, what are you doing? And I'll say, well, I thought you asked me to put the bread away. And she'll say, no, 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 I asked you to take a piece of bread out for me. And I've, you know, I've done the exact opposite. Well, Israel felt like God had given them the exact opposite. They must have been thinking to themselves, did God even listen to himself when he made these promises to us? Does he even remember all those wonderful things? That he told us? See, on the one hand, David had been chosen, but here they're saying we're cast off and rejected. They had heard God say, the covenant will stand firm, but now you have renounced the covenant. They heard God say that through David he would crush his enemies, but now all who pass by plunder him. They had heard that I mean, could there be a better promise than this? That David would be the highest of the kings of the earth, but now cast his throne to the ground. So here's the deal. We have to deal with this on two levels. We have to deal with this both on the level of what was actually happening, but then we also have to deal with it on the level of what they felt like was happening. So what was actually happening is that Israel and the kings of Israel had forsaken God's law. They had not walked according to God's rules. They had violated God's statutes, and they had not kept His commandments. And so, because God is... He punished their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But what it felt like to them is it felt like God had abandoned them. It felt like God had broken his covenant with them. It felt like the promises of God had failed. So, if the relationship that Israel had with God was an if-then relationship, if you disobey, then I will punish, does that mean that our relationship with God is the same way. 
Well, I think for us to carefully and thoughtfully answer that question, we have to go back and do the same thing with these covenant consequences, these covenant curses that we did with the covenant promises. And that is we have to read this section back through the lens of Jesus Christ. When Jesus, the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah, died for sinners, He took upon Himself all of the covenant curses. This is a picture here of the wrath of God. And Jesus absorbed in Himself the fullness of the wrath of God. And so we're going to read back through verses 38 to 45, and what we're going to see is if we just replace the pronouns with the name Jesus, what we are witnessing is an explanation of the crucifixion of the Son of God. He says, you have cast off and rejected Jesus. You are full of wrath against your anointed, which just means Messiah, Jesus. You have renounced the covenant with your servant, Jesus. You have defiled Jesus' crown in the dust. You have breached all Jesus' walls. You have laid Jesus' strongholds in ruin. All who pass by plunder Jesus. Jesus has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of Jesus' foes. You have made all Jesus' enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of Jesus' sword, and you have not made Jesus stand in battle. You have made Jesus' splendor to cease and cast Jesus' throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of Jesus' youth. You have covered Jesus with shame. The curse of the covenant has fallen upon Jesus, the wrath of God, has been poured out upon him. So there's two radical shifts which this creates in how we see God and how we understand our suffering and our sense of God-forsakenness. First is the fact that Jesus fully identified with the confusion and darkness and doubts of this cursed world. Jesus suffered in solidarity with us. When you find yourself crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You realize that that you are praying the prayer of Jesus. However you feel cursed, he was cursed. And the second radical shift is that it is true that Jesus suffered in solidarity with us, but it is also true that Jesus suffered substitutionally for us. Jesus went through what he went through in our place for our sins because of our transgressions, dying our death. It says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus bore the covenant curses to secure for us all of the covenant promises. All the wrath of God 
was poured out upon him in our place. So what does this mean for us when we're wrestling with the consequences of the covenant, when it feels like God is failing, when it feels like we're being punished? What does this mean for us? What it means is that we no longer receive suffering as punishment from God the judge, but instead we receive suffering as pruning from God the Father. Let me say that again. We no longer receive suffering as punishment from God the judge, but instead we receive suffering as pruning from God the Father. But maybe you're thinking, what's the difference? Well, the Puritans had a great illustration for this. They would talk about heat. Uh, Heat is heat, right? Heat is hot, regardless. Uh, But heat has different effects depending on the object. Heat melts ice, but heat hardens clay. Heat makes glass beautiful, and heat makes food taste good. Heat is heat no matter what, but heat has radically different effects on different substances. So what we're learning here is that the affliction that come into the life of the person who is not in covenant relationship with God just makes them bitter and frustrated and drives them away from God. But when heat, when affliction, when suffering comes into the life of those who are in covenant relationship with God, it makes us holier. It draws us towards God. It refines the believer. It's the same heat. It looks the same. I'm going through the same experience. But God's heart and God's design in it is totally different for me. Because if God has punished Jesus in my place, He cannot and will not punish me. So if we belong to God through Jesus Christ, then we may still feel the same feelings of this psalm. We may still go through the same experiences. But we can be sure as we wrestle through what's going on in our lives that God is for us, that He loves us, And that whatever suffering and affliction do come into our lives, they come from a loving Father and they come to produce both present holiness in us and also future glory for us. That's the promise. That leads us to our third thing this morning. When we feel like God is failing us, third, appeal to the faithfulness of the covenant. Appeal to the faithfulness of the covenant. After unpacking the reality of the situation, the psalm turns to start asking some questions. See, what we're not called to do when we're suffering, when we're afflicted, is to just put a smile on and act like everything's okay, right? That's not even what Jesus did. And we're also not called to just grit it out and just say, oh, I'm going to get through this. No, 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 that's, that's not what it looks like to walk by faith. What it means to walk by faith is to walk into the presence of God with our frustrations, to walk into the presence of God with our questions, and to cast them before Him. And that's why we have a psalm like this in the Bible. The questions begin in verses 46 to 48. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, for what vanity have you created all the children of man? What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? So the question, how long, is a great question. 
Because it shows that we're not actually doubting God, we're just questioning his timing. We're just wondering when he's going to come through. And so rather than just putting a smile on, rather than just feeling like we're going to grit it out, no, 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 we run to his presence and we cry out, how long, O Lord? Because we know, we know that he is going to come through. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of when, and we long for it. Lord, that's why the Bible ends. At the very, very end of the Bible, there's a last prayer in the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. It's this longing. Lord, make good what we've already seen, the image that we've seen, the future that we've seen. We've seen it. So, Lord, bring it to pass. How long, O Lord? And then the questions continue in verses 49 to 51. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? By which, by which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock. O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. So we had the question, how long? And now we have the question, where is? And where is is also a great question because this is what it expresses. It expresses that if God was here, if he were to show up, then it would radically change everything. If God were to enter the picture, then everything would change in an instant. And so where is it? Lord, where is your steadfast love? Where is your covenant faithfulness? So rather than just putting a smile on, rather than just gritting it out, no, we run into the presence of God and we say, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Because we know that if God did it in the past, if he's been faithful in the past, then we can know that he'll be faithful in the present and in the future as well. I heard a story once about a boy who went into a blacksmith shop for the first time. Um, he was mesmerized by the smashing of the, the hammer on top of the anvil. And, you know, he just heard the, the clank and the clank over and over and over again. And finally, the, the big blacksmith turned around and, and, and looked at the little boy and gave the boy an opportunity to ask a question. And the little boy said, aren't you going to break that thing, swinging that big hammer so hard against it? And the blacksmith turned back at the, and looked at the boy and he said, this anvil is a hundred years old and has worn out many hammers. God can handle our hard questions. We can slam into him as hard as we can with our most difficult doubts and our most difficult frustrations. And guess what, guys? You can't wear God out. Psalms like this are in the Bible because God knows that we are weak. He knows that if we're going to walk with him by faith, then we're going to need his help to do it. And so he's inviting us to, to thrust ourselves towards him with, with our hardest questions, with our deepest doubts, and trust that he can handle it. Now, maybe you noticed, I, I don't know, as we read through the psalm earlier, you noticed there was that final verse, verse 52. It kind of seems like this psalm just goes up and up and up like a roller coaster, and then it just drops down into the depths. And then there's this last verse, verse 52. In fact, some commentators have even tried to argue that maybe it was added later, that maybe it's not even actually supposed to be part of the psalm because it just feels like after this plummet down into the depths, it just almost feels like it's out of place. But, but I don't think that's true. 
finally this morning, as we ask the question about what we do when it feels like God is failing us, finally we bless the God of the covenant. We bless the God of the covenant. And this is what it says in verse 52. It says, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. If I'm honest, I understand why people would say that. I understand why this seems like maybe it's out of place. Right? As, as Samuel Renahan said, life could not get worse for people have been promised something so much better. But, but yet what we see at the end of the psalm is that collectively, this congregation, this is a corporate song. This is a corporate psalm. The, the whole community joins their hearts together and they submit and they resign to bless and praise their God even in the midst of suffering. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so I think we have to pause and reflect and, and ask, why should we, why should you, why should I, even in the midst of our suffering, still bless the Lord? Why should we do this? Well, here's a few thoughts. One reason we should bless the Lord in the, even in the midst of our suffering is because He welcomes our pleading and wrestling. This psalm demonstrates an openness and a willingness from God for us to wrestle through the difficult aspects of life with Him. And if He's a God who invites us to throw our hardest questions up toward Him, to to run into His presence with our afflictions and our suffering, if He's that kind of God, then He deserves to be blessed even in the midst of suffering. A second reason that God deserves to be blessed is because His pruning is proof of His love. See, there's something scarier than being disciplined by God, and that is to receive nothing from God. If God, as our loving Father, is willing to get involved in our life, to to burn off the dross, to consume that which is sinful and broken in us, then He deserves to be blessed even in our suffering. If those strokes of those rods come from a loving Father, He deserves to be blessed. A third reason is because He's faithful even in and through our doubts. Don't you love how David and his sons, they disobeyed God? They did not keep His law. They did not live according to His statutes. And yet, God did, in fact, keep His promises to David. What that means is that if you and I are sort of right on the fence of trust and doubt, we're right on the fence of believing and not believing, wondering how can we actually trust this God And yet we know that His Word will still stand, that His promises will still come to pass. Then that God, a God like that, deserves to be blessed even in the midst of our suffering. A fourth reason is because of the fact that if we are in relationship with God in the first place, then it's better than we deserve. The confusion of life with God is better than the despair of life without God. Maybe we are confused about what God is doing. Maybe we don't understand what's going on. But if He has covenanted, entered into relationship with us, then even if we are in the midst of suffering and affliction, this God deserves to be blessed. And then fifth and finally this morning, the reason God deserves to be blessed 
is because God has entered into our pain and into our darkness and into our suffering through His Son, Jesus Christ. If we know that there is no dark place that we could go, that Jesus, Jesus hasn't already been, if there is no more confusing, conflicting situation than a perfect man having the wrath of God poured out upon him. If, if you find yourself in a confusing and conflicting situation, know that Jesus has gone there with you and he's not afraid to go there with you now. And if that's true, then our God deserves to be blessed even in the midst of suffering. Hey, I want to ask you guys to stand up this morning uh, before we enter into a time of worship. In God's providence, we ended up in this psalm uh, right before Advent, right before we're going to enter into the Christmas season. And and it really is a, a perfect setup for us uh, because these questions that we saw at the end of Psalm 89, these questions are answered uh, through Advent. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? And this question, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Those are the questions which make Christmas worth celebrating. In the face of those questions, we're introduced to a young girl named Mary. And this is what she hears from an angel. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, will be, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age will also conceive a son. This is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So if you're here today and you're wondering, does God make good on his promises? Here is absolute proof that God fulfills every single one of his promises and he fulfills it better and greater and fuller and deeper than anything we could have ever dreamed. Bless be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Let's sing together.